We're going to be starting our uh, a new series. Um, <clears throat> we follow this program that Gospel Folio has released for know, as long as I can remember, but it is a great program. We go through the Bible systematically, and it picks and chooses according to the program different stories. And this, in particular, one is the first lesson of the exile. Now, Jason just asked me, when you say exile, say exile Israel. That's partially true. It is Israel that's being exiled out of their land, but it's actually more in particular Judah, because half, ten tribes have already gone into exile by the time this story happens. And so this is the remaining piece of <clears throat> that group of people going into exile. Now, before we, before we get started, i just make a way of a couple announcements regarding Sunday school. Um, one is and for prayer. Um, we're still looking for anybody that would be interested in teaching and helping, not necessarily maybe leading the class. So if, you, if, you, if that's something that you'd be interested in, uh, we had had some come forward. And with that, it uh, looks like uh, in the sh- very near future, Lord willing, we're going to open up the, the two-year-old class. Now, it's been closed for a while. There's been different ones that have come in and tried to teach it, but Sister Linda Kirian has agreed to, to teach it. So um, pray for Linda. It's a tough class. <laughs> and um, pray for all the teachers, right? They, um, week in, week out, right? They're, they're in there, and they're not out here, but um, they would appreciate the prayer for them as they're teaching the children. Other thing, too, uh, before we get started, um, something of a, I guess it, w- it would be a, of a serious note. Uh, I don't know if you pay attention to the, the media and what happens. There was, a, there was a death this week. And sometimes I just hear some of the, the chatter, you know, at work of what's going on. But it was a, it was a, famous, um, it was a famous musician. His name is Chris Cornell. But what caught my attention was, and the reason I want to mention this is, is, is for the gospel, is that there was, it, was a, it was a sudden death. He died. Now, I, I guess it may be inconclusive. Uh, the wife is not understanding why, but the evidence is pointing to that he, it's self-inflicted. But what caught my attention was this, is that by his own words, this is Chris Cornell, he says this by his own words, that he was dealing with, now this is, this is, apropos of what it is to be outside of Christ, in the world, in your sin. He called it the drudgery of depression of life. The drudgery of depression. That's a perfect term of it, is that outside of Christ, you're in this prison that you really can't sense, but you feel it. And you feel it every day that you try so hard to fill it with different things, pleasures. And that's why sometimes, and it's not just, it's interesting, it's not just the rich and famous. It's all uh, levels of social society that turn to some kind of stimulant or some kind of control substance to get them out of this reality. And sometimes they end up overdosing or they take too much or it, it sends them to the grave, right? And, and this in particular uh, guy labeled it this, that it's the drudgery and depression of life that he went through and he was in and out of dealing with different rehabs. And listen to these words in Hebrews chapter 2. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus came to save us from. It says this in, in Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death. That is the devil. Verse 15. And deliver all those who 
through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's exactly what it is outside of Christ. We're subject to that slavery. Everybody does not want to look, you know, it doesn't take long, family members, coworkers, whoever you talk to, they have something. They either want to push it aside, not think about death, or laugh it off. Oh, we just end it. You know, somebody said in, in my group, well, Chris took the easy way out. That was it. That was his end of everything. But that's not the end. There's something that comes next. Are you ready for it, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, it says here, therefore, he partook in flesh and blood. You know, sometimes I think, I don't know if you do, those who are uh, true believers. If the Lord, if you were the Lord, how would you deal? Well, I'd deal with myself a little differently, right, <laughs> if I was. But um, the way that he would correct the situation of humanity and their sin you know, I would just sit up in heaven and I'd wave my hand. He, he, he could do that. Sometimes the way he healed people, right? He just spoke a word. Sometimes he spit in the dirt. He made clay and rubbed it on their eyes and he got the desired effect. But, you know, why would you want to come so close to them that they would be able to rip out your beard or clench their fists and punch you in the face and you allowed them? The creator of the universe. But it says this, and he, he since the children... His creation were partakers of flesh and blood. They were weak. They had flesh and blood. He himself partook or became likewise the same things. It's amazing when you think about the creator of the universe becoming creation, right, and suffering at their, uh, at their own hands and uh, what God the Father, right, put him to shame and bruised him. But through his death, he delivered those through fear death were subject to a lifelong slavery. And so I understand you know, the church isn't necessarily right. We, we don't necessarily have a lot of unsaved people come in here because we got to go out. Right. But um, no doubt. I doubt. I mean, they're not I doubt, but I'm sure there might be somebody in this room. Right. That does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior. Maybe they think they do. But just remember that the drudgery of depression of life. Right. Outside of Christ, it is a drudgery and it's a slavery. And the Lord Jesus Christ has come to free you of that has come to free you of it through his death. And so let's go to let's go back to our, our scheduled text. This is in Jeremiah 37. And what we'd like to do is just try to read through some of this. Um, I understand when 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 we go back to these um, to these Old Testament stories, especially the history, um, depending on your your style, depending on what you like, your you know what you like to read. I particularly. I, I, I am fond of history, but I understand that you lose a lot of people. But in the same sense, I would just say this, that while this won't be what we're primarily focusing in on, but the Holy Spirit has put it here for a reason. And sometimes you can just swipe it away, especially sometimes when you get to Le- Leviticus. I don't know if you've ever read through it, but there's a section around 16, 18, somewhere in there, when it starts talking about uh, leprosy and then leprosy on the house. I mean, it's like 86 verses sometimes. You're like, man, it's just repeated. It's like, well, God put it there for a reason. And it is there by divine purpose. And if divine purpose put it there, who am I to say, no, that's not good enough. I'm just going to go ahead and skip over it. Well, there's not a reason. Really, what you have here in this section, which happened a long time ago, is the framework of what we see today. Right. Is the framework of what Israel is today. They're not collectively governing themselves. They're not. It's not going to happen until the king of kings come back. Right. And then Israel's established again. 
But this is where their sovereignty was taken away from them. And you say, well, they're, they're, they're a nation over there now, but there's a lot of reliance on outside help right now. Now, of course, that's not entirely true because we know the Lord is the one that's sustaining them, right? And so, right, there is America and there's in the United States and different countries that do help them, but there's increasingly disdain for them, right? And they're looking out, outward because it looks like the overwhelming force around that nation has the upper hand, but God is the one sustaining them, right? And they will exist uh, despite what man's efforts are. But in any case, this is the exile of entirely of the nation. Now, they end up coming back, which we will get to, not in this lesson, obviously. This is the very first one. But in our series, we will touch on that when they come back. So in verse 37, what we're going to do, oh, good. What we're going to do is we're going to look at, we're going to just read a few verses and we'll come back and we'll, we'll frame up what we're going to talk about. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, this is chapter 37 of Jeremiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Conaniah, the son of Jehoiakim. Now, you come across some of these names. They, they're used interchangeably because sometimes um, it, apparently it was given a name perhaps and then um, a foreign king changed it. For instance, Zedekiah, he's also known as Mataniah. But Nebuchadnezzar changed his name. So when you come across Conaniah, you can also connect that to, if you ever heard this name, Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, okay? So Jehoiakim is also Conaniah. Jehoiakim is also Shalom, I think his name is. There's another name that's given to him. It slips my mind right now. Verse 2, but neither he nor the servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. Now, King Zedekiah sent Jehoiakim, the son of Shemaliah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Masiah, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying this, Please pray for us to the Lord our God. Now Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not been put in prison. The army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt, and the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard the news about them. They withdrew from Jerusalem, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel. Thus you shall say to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army that came out to you is about to return to Egypt to its own land, and the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against the city, but, and they shall capture it and shall burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, Do not deceive yourselves. The Chaldeans will surely, come, will surely go away from us, for they will not go away. For even... If you should defeat the entire, the whole army of the Chaldeans who are fighting against you, and there remained only a wounded men and every man in his tent, then they will rise up and burn the city to the uh, burn this city with fire. Now the Chaldeans, uh, uh, the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army. Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive a portion there among his among the people. And when he was at the gate, uh, Benjamin gate, a sentry named Arijah, the son of Shemaliah, the son of Hanani, seized Jeremiah the prophet. You are deserting to the Chaldeans, he said. Jeremiah said, it is a lie. I'm not deser deserting to the Chaldeans. But Arijah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. Now the officials were enraged at Jeremiah. They beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for he had been made a prison, and so on. Now down to 
chapter 38. And Shephatiah, the son of Mattaniah, and Gad, uh, Gadaliah, the son of Pashur, and Jekuel, the son of Shemaliah, and Pashur, the son of uh, Malachiah, heard the words of Jeremiah, saying to all the people, Thus says the Lord, He who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live, and he shall save he shall have his life as prize of war and shall live. Thus says the Lord, this surely, uh, thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. And the officials of the king said, uh, the officials said to the king, this man must be put to death for he is weakening, weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of the people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king cannot do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malachiah, the son, uh, king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, only mud, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud, but... Verse 7, but Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they put Jeremiah in the cistern, and the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. And Ebed-Melech went to the king's house, and he said to the king, my lord, the king, these men had done evil in what they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern, and he will die of hunger, for there is no bread in the city. And the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, take 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took men with him to the house of the king and uh, to the house of the king to the wardrobe, which is in the store, uh, storehouse, and took their old rags, worn out clothes. And he let down, uh, he let down to Jeremiah to the cistern of, uh, by ropes. And then ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, put the rags and the clothes beneath, uh, between your armpits and the ropes. And Jeremiah did so, and they drew Jeremiah with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. And then so on into verse uh, chapter 39. We're going to come and pick back some of this, but I just want to get some of the reading done. And verse 30, uh, chapter 39, it says, In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. And then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. And Nergal, Shal, Cesar, and Shemgar, De, uh, Nebu, and Shal, Shechem, and Rabshus, and Nergal Sar Sheshar, the Rab Mag, some hard words there, huh? <laughs> Shall all of the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon, then Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and the soldiers saw them, and they fled, going out of the city by night by the king's garden through the gate between the two walls, and there they went into the Arabah. And the army of the Chaldeans pursued them, overtook Zedekiah in the plains of the land of Hamath, and they passed sentence on him. And the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah 
at Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered the nobles of, Ju- of Judah, and he put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and take, and, and to take him to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the people and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem and Neber, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the, the rest of the people who were left in the city and those who had deserted to them and the people who remained. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. And then we'll look to read and pick out different verses. So what we have there is really the final days of of Judah and what transpired. Now, this is not something that was all of a sudden. Really, what we have, I want to bring up something, just a quick background of what it is. I know sometimes you lose people here, but it really helps me to understand really how did it get to this point. Now, I know you can't see all of that. This is something, I just bring this up because it is very helpful, but you can look it up. It's actually from Wikipedia of all places. But this is actually a map of the kings starting with Saul. And then when there's a split, the red side is, is the kings of Israel when they, there was a split after Solomon. The green side is the, the descendants of David. And really what we have here at the bottom is what we want to focus in on. And this is what I'm going to highlight right here is how did it get to this point? Well, it really started, it started throughout the whole history, but it really got really bad with that man at the top, uh, Ahaz. And really what he introduced into Judah was some of the practices what happened in Israel. Child sacrifice, a lot of pagan worship. Now that happened even since Solomon, right? He set up some, um, he set up some, um, foreign worship up on mountains that really weren't disposed of until Josiah came around. But in any case, it happened then. And God was sending them prophets. Wake up, wake up. Even during Hezekiah's time, when there was a reprieve and there was a king who actually followed after the Lord, he was telling him, wake up, listen, you need to change your ways. Hezekiah was a good king. Manasseh, terrible. Ammon, terrible. Josiah was the very last one who was a decent king, who, was, who followed after the Lord. But after him is really where the subject where we're at. And these lined of three right here, Jehoiakim, Jehoahaz, and Zedekiah. And why it, it's interesting here is because what happens after this, if you remember the story of jo, uh, Josiah, Josiah was a good king from a, from a youth. He followed after the Lord. He sought after him. He found the book of the law. He, he, he returned the people. There was a great turning around uh, Back to the Lord. But at the end of his life, he made a poor decision. He went out to fight against the king, which I still, I actually, I covered this, so I still don't know. I kind of looked more into it. I don't know if he was out there to help the Chaldean army. I don't know if he was a tributary to them. I'm not sure. But for some reason, something in himself prompted him, it wasn't the Lord, to go out and meet them. So Pharaoh's coming up from Egypt. He passes uh, Judah on the way. Um, Josiah goes out to meet him in, in battle. Um, Pharaoh says, listen, don't bother me because I'm going out to fight the Chaldeans and I, there was something I'm, I'm planning to do. Josiah heard, had, had nothing about it. He even disguised himself. What that means is he went further down to set up a booby trap for them. He ends up backfiring and he dies. Okay, So now he's dead. The people take 
uh, to go back to Israel, uh, go back to Judah, they take Jehoahaz to set him up as king. Pharaoh goes up and, ma- and fights the battle. Three months later, he comes back down. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe he went down and came back up. But remember, there's no cars and there's no airplanes, so they're all traveling by foot. So it takes time to move around. But anyway, and, and his reign was very short. What ends up happening, Pharaoh says, listen, you know, I'm going to make them my, I'm going to make them a tributary to me. So he disposed of the king, Jehoahaz. He sets up Jehoiakim to be king because he agrees, listen, I'll pay you some money. Just let me be king. No problem. So he gets rid of him. He takes him to Egypt, Jehoahaz, sets up Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim then is king, not very long, 16, 11 years, something like that. He then is disposed of. And then God's punishment is start coming in. God's, uh, what God was prophesying starts enacting. And he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar as his, as his tool. He even calls him that, right? His servant. He's going to use him to inflict punishment, not just on Israel, really on that, on that land, right? They were the first of the head of gold later in Daniel, right? They were the first kingdom that would rule the known world, right? They would be the first world power, as it were. But Nebuchadnezzar comes back. And right here, right, in 37, what has happened is they threw their lot in with Egypt. Now, this is fascinating to me. Where did, those, where did the children of Israel come from before they were anywhere? Where did they come out of slavery? Egypt. Look at where it's come for. Now, look at where it's come to. At the end of their reign, they're not going back to the Lord for help who brought them out of that place of slavery. They're going back to them for help. I mean, it's just, it's amazing when you think about this. And, and the Lord has recorded this, but oftentimes throughout their history, they, they relied on Egypt, horses, chariots, uh, the latest technology in, in warfare. But here they are. Um, they relied on him. Now, it does say this in 37 that Pharaoh's, uh, that the Chaldean army, Nebuchadnezzar, right, he left. Now, it might not have been Nebuchadnezzar. It might have been Nebuchadnezzar's father. But in any case, the Chaldean army left because Pharaoh's army came out. Hey, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to protect my investment in Israel. They're paying me gold. He comes out. But God has said that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be set up, right? He's going to be ruling the known world. So he deals with Egypt later. They're dealt with. They can't rely on them anymore. And now Israel's by themselves, right? And the Chaldean comes in. The Chaldean army comes in and sets them up. So that's a little bit of the background. But they have come to the place now where they're still not calling out to the Lord. The very last moment, I mean, just think about it. How patient is the Lord with us? Not just with them, but with us, right? Here it is. They're, they're basically at their last breath. They're, they're not holding on to anything. They're just looking out for any kind of re- reason or any kind of uh, stability to make peace with uh, other nations. We'll give you gold. They don't have anything as it is. But instead of crying out to the Lord, the Lord even gave them uh, different ways of getting out of this, right? They were going to go into exile. The Lord was going to have, their, the, Lord was going to have the land and have its Sabbath. That was already given. But the way that they were going to exile was determined up to them, right? They could go out and it could be a peaceful thing. They could have their lives, right? But in any case, they still were disobeying and they still were disobedient, even up until the very last uh, moment. So Jeremiah really is the prophet, one of the last prophets. There have been prophets after, there have been prophets before, but he, during this time, is the one who's prophesying to the people. And the present situation, I mentioned already some of the background there, but the present situation is that Israel is relying on foreign kingdoms to, to give them the strength. 
They have made alliances with, with Egypt. Egypt then is coming out to, to, to rescue them. And it's interesting, some of the officials, now I, I don't know whether, you know, Zedekiah was influenced by, by men, but the, the political situation in this time was, very, uh, was in turmoil. The cabinet that the guy, as it were, that the king had around him were now very pro anything else but God, really. They wanted to rely on the, 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 most, um, the strongest power in the region, which happened to be Egypt, but it still was going to happen in their, in their exile. So, But what we want to look at is now that we looked at some of that, but we want to look at the warnings. The king is actually given two, uh, a few warnings here in our, in our text. And, and it really comes from his own mouth. He's looking for the Lord to give him something. The Lord gives him something to hear and what to do, but he would not listen. Look in 37 and verse 17. It says this. We, we skipped over some of this, but it says this in, in, um, after he's put into prison. Remember, Jeremiah. Now, this is interesting, too. As a side note, Jeremiah is going out to receive a portion. If you remember, um, this is really where the new covenant comes in. Sometimes we, we hear, uh, we sing this song, um, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth and by thy great power, right? That phrase, that song is really a quotation from the time that Jeremiah goes out to receive the land. In the midst of everything that's happening amongst the, uh, the, the besieging of the Chaldean army, God gives Jeremiah a prof- uh, 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 prophecy for himself that he's going to come back and receive this land. It's amazing. We don't spend too much more time on it. But in any case, he's going out to to receive this uh, portion of land that was that he bought from a relative. Uh, But this sentry picks him up and says, listen, you know, you're obviously not pro-Israel. You're pro-anti-Israel. You're anti-Israel. And and he and he throws him in prison. But Zedekiah still, you know, he's kind of like on the fence, as you see, because he's still making inquiries to God's man but he doesn't want to follow it. He's still being influenced by the officials and the political party around him. It says this in 17, Then Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him. This is Jeremiah secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, There is. And he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Now, can you imagine that? You know, we... You know, when we pray or we want to hear something from the Lord, we want to hear something positive. Well, here it is. Is there any word from the Lord? Yeah, you're going to be you're going to be taken into exile. You're going to be overcome. Well, is there something I could do about this? Right. Is there something I can change this? Well, you can't. But the manner in which you go out can be right. The Lord still gave him uh, an opportunity to to change that. But. As it says in the beginning of 37, this really frames this text. It says, but neither, in verse 2, neither the servants, nor the people of the land, nor the king, which it says before, listened to the words of the Lord, which he spake to Jeremiah the prophet. So the people had nothing of it, even though they constantly, even especially with the king, inquired. Look also in 38. There's another inquiry by this king, Zedekiah. It says this in verse 14. It says, King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him in the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I tell you, 
Will you not surely put me to death? Now, it's gotten to the point where this is, you, know, you kind of read over this and skip through it, but it gotten to the point where the supposed people of the Lord were so hostile to the Lord's word that they were willing to show violence. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like the world today, right? That's how the world reacts to Jesus. When they're under conviction, is they react with violence or they react with putting it aside, whatever it is. That's how they confront it, with violence. The same way, if they could do it with their own hands, the world, right, with their own hands, they would take Jesus and put him back on the cross because that's where they think of him. That's where they want to leave him. But, of course, he's not there. He's gone up to heaven. But that's what the world still feels about him. So when you see this, that here's the Lord's servant. What, what, what's going on here? Well, they've gotten so far away from it, and they've, put, and they've, and they've seared their own conscience, and, they've, and they've, they rejected the Lord's word so much that now they're employing violence against those who would bring the Lord's word. And Jeremiah is not the first. There are many others that have been put to death before that. But it says here, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me, Zedekiah says. Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, if I tell you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you counsel, will you not listen to me? Another thing I want to mention about this, too, about Jeremiah, and for us is application. You know, sometimes I don't know how long maybe there's somebody in your life who the Lord has put family member, co-worker, and you've been witnessing to them, you've been praying for them, and it seems like nothing's changing, right? There's been, no, there's been no response to the gospel, but look at what Jeremiah does. He's among, amongst people that want to kill him, that beat him, right? They take him, and all he's doing is, we're going to talk about this, but all he's doing is what the Lord put before him, what's right. And the response is, to, with physical violence. Now, I don't know if anybody in this room has ever confronted that, but Jeremiah still went through with it. He still, he had a heart for those people. He had a heart for this king who wouldn't even listen to him. Listen, you're asking me, but I'm still going to tell you. I would be frustrated if it was me, right? But the, 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 the idea is, is that Jeremiah, and the, the charges is Jeremiah was true to what God's charge was. He didn't look at the results and said, listen, there's nobody that's responding to this. I'm just going to give up. No, that God charged them with a, with a charge to go out there and speak to these people. Maybe perhaps God would relent some way. And he still went out and did it, even though in blood, he even says it with his own mouth. Listen, you guys aren't even going to listen to me. So while we're out there, right, there might be somebody, a family member, a, 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 a co-worker, somebody that we love. Don't stop, right? Don't stop preaching to them. Don't stop praying for them. The God is still working on them. The charge is for us, right, is to go out into all the world, make disciples, right, and baptizing. And it's not to just give up because there's no result. Sometimes it, it is like that, right? Or we don't see it, I should say. But uh, the charge is, is that we're following after the Lord and, we're, and we want to serve him rather than to see what the results are. So anyway, back to... Verse 16, it says, I will give you uh, 15. I, if, and if I give you counsel, you will not listen. Then King Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah, as the Lord lives who made our souls, I will not put you to death nor deliver you into the hands of these men who seek your life. And Jeremiah says this to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life will be spared and the city will not be burned with fire. And and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender, 
than the officials of to the the officials of the king of the Babylon. Then this city will be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. And King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them, and they deal cruelly with me. And so there was a way out, right? The, sin, the, the, the nation was going to go into exile, but the manner in which they were going to go, God left it up to determine them. Now, Zedekiah could have had all his children left alive, or at least until they, they died naturally, but they were put to death because of his decision not to surrender. And on top of it, just think about it, the temple, the city, the walls, everything, right? There would be no need for Nehemiah to go back and build if Zedekiah just made the decision to surrender willingly. But he decided to fight. And look at his reason. It says this, I am afraid of the officials. Um, I'm afraid of the officials or, or the ones who have already surrendered. Now, this word in this term officials uh, has also been used in 26 in the same book. But apparently, uh, and what it seems like is there are people that did respond positively to what the Lord and to what Jeremiah was saying. Because the people who deserted, who gave themselves willingly, right, they might seem cowardly, but actually they were doing what the Lord commanded. They surrendered themselves to the Chaldean army instead of fighting against them and then ultimately possibly losing their life or going into exile without eyesight or what have you. But he did not, he, he, he says, he gives this excuse that he uh, was going to fear because of the, Judean, the Judeans or the Israelites who have already gone into captivity that they would mistreat him. Jeremiah says this in verse 20, you shall not be given to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord, what I say to you, and it will be well for you and your life will be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, then this is the vision which the Lord has shown me. Behold, all the women left in, your, in the house of the king of Judah will be led out, uh, led out to the officials of the king of Babylon. And they were saying, you trusted in your friend, your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. And now that your feet has sunk into the mud, they will turn away from you. And really, Jeremiah, this is what I want to mention this, is Jeremiah becomes an object lesson. Not only did he speak what the Lord was saying, but th- certain things happened to him. Do you remember when they cast him into a well? What did it say at the end when he hit the bottom? His feet sunk in the mud. Now, you can say, ah, well, obviously there's maybe a little bit of water there. Um, and that's what happens when dirt gets there. But, you know, again, the Holy Spirit records this for a particular purpose. Because look what happens here. Jeremiah then tells him, listen, you're trusting in, you're trusting in these friends and these officials and whoever else, Egypt, but they are deceiving you. They're pulling the wool over your eyes. You've got to follow the Lord, and your feet are going to be stuck in the mud. And so Jer- Jeremiah really becomes an object lesson. And you think about this, is sometimes you look at your own situations, and you say, man, it's, it's a terrible. How, how did the Lord, I mean, why did he let me go through this? Well, sometimes he might be not only teaching me something, but I might become an object lesson to somebody else, right? And so be thankful, right, that the Lord is using us and not fighting against it, right? But following him, remember, remember the charge that we've been given to follow after him. And so Zedekiah, as we read, did not listen to the Lord, did not willingly surrender. Um, it took about a year and a half, but since the besieging of the city that they, um, 
the Chaldeans broke through, the walls were, were smashed, the temples destroyed, the, the great uh, amount of material that Solomon put into that temple, right, were all hacked up and taken to, to uh, Babylon, and Zedekiah was blinded, and his children were all, were all killed. And really what was set up later, um, we did not get to, to read it, but um, there is a governor that is set up by Nebuchadnezzar to rule that land, right? So now Jerusalem, Israel does not, well, Israel has been long gone, but Judah now does not have, is not sovereignly ruling, ruling over them. They are vassals to a greater power in that region. And it's been like that for a while, right? Now there are a collective nation, but still they do rely on somewhat of the uh, outside help to, to, for rule. But I want to look out, just pull out a few applications in our closing um, thoughts here is, is as we think about this story, because there is some application. We mentioned some of it actually and going through, but looking at Zedekiah, remember his two inquiries. He wants to know what the Lord has to say. Look at this in verse, look at this in verse three. This is going back to 37, chapter 37. King Zedekiah said to Jehoiakim, the son of Shemaliah and Zephaniah, the priest, and Messiah to Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, please pray for us to the Lord our God. Oh, that's great. Please pray for us, right? Zedekiah, is, I would label as this, praying but not actually praying. Now, what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, when we pray to the Lord, right, we, we come to lay our petitions at his feet, right? We either we're, we're praising him, thanking him, and, but to lay our petitions and cares at his feet. But what Zedekiah was doing is he did not want the answer the Lord gave him. Have you ever caught yourself uh, in that situation, right? Have you ever said this? Well, I'm praying about this decision coming up, and the Lord, uh, you got to keep going. Well, the, the answer is no, right? Is that not an answer from the Lord, right? We, what we want is when we're asking the Lord, well, Lord, this is what I want, and please answer it in this way, in this manner, and I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to still coming to you to ask. That's not really praying. Praying is when you're asking the Lord for some answer, some direction, and he gives it to you. You follow. And this is what Zedekiah says. Please pray for us, the Lord our God. He's not really praying. He just wants the answer that he wants. He wants to ask God, listen, God, you line up your will to what suits me right now. I mean, have you ever gotten to that point where, I mean, I got to be honest, sometimes like, you know, you, you mentioned, man, I'm, I'm still praying for this. You know, no, I, I say this as a joke, but there's more serious thing. Oh, I need this new car. You know, I'm praying for it. I'm praying for it. It's like, you know, seven months later, I'm still praying for it. Well, hello. You know, the answer's already there. Not, not at this time, you know. The answer's no. That is an answer, right? But the answer what I wanted was yes, right now. So praying, but not really praying. It's a sad state, right? But Jeremiah, he also becomes an object. We mentioned this, doing right and suffering for it. Now, I don't know what kind of suffering or what kind of persecution you've faced as a true believer, but any true believer who desires to open their mouth or to live godly will suffer persecution. It is, it is the prescription that God has prescribed to his followers. Listen, they treated the Son of God, the most perfect individual, right, and spiked him on a cross. What do you think they're going to do with you? Right? If that's how they treat your, your uh, Savior, your Creator, how are they going to treat you who follow them? No different. 
right? If they had the opportunity, they would do it. And in some places in the world, they do, right? They cut your head off. And there's going to come a time where if you do follow after the Lord and don't follow with the world system, taking the mark, right? The price is your head. So Jeremiah suffered for doing right. He, and it's interesting, it's still mentioned his humanity, right? There's a time where he was thrown into this prison, and, and, and uh, it's Jonathan the secretary, and he makes a plea to Zedekiah, listen, don't throw me back there, man, lest I die. Now, it just, for me, it, it warms my heart to see that, you know, he's not some kind of super, uh, superman that he doesn't, is not affected by the situation around him. He still was, right? But it still did not change him uh, in his situation, right? It was a terrible situation. It, he was beat, punched, you know, he, I mean, there was terrible things that happened to him for just doing what is right. Not only that, he wanted the best for his own people. He wanted the best for his people. And they didn't want the best for themselves. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. So Jeremiah suffered for doing right. And really, for us, as we consider, right, we might not see the results. Maybe there's, like I said, there's a loved one out there that we've been praying for, and we're really hammering them in, in a way that, of course, the God has dictated, right, not in a way that's annoying to them. But there's no results, and we kind of get frustrated maybe internally about it. But keep at it, right? We're following the Lord. Let the results – we're not the one who saves. We've got to remind ourselves, right? We're not the one who saves and, and uh, waves our hand around, but it's the, one, it's the Lord who saves, and we're just pointing him to the Lord. We're following after the Lord. And when, we, when, it, when the time comes, it hasn't already, right? Maybe phys, when I say physical, but it, I'm sure it happened to you in some way. There's some kind of persecution, suffering. Don't despair from doing right, right? Jeremiah becomes a lesson from us, uh, for us. And then I want to look at the officials. Look at this. The officials say this in verse, I don't know if you caught it, in verse 38. Jeremiah then is, is again, he's, he's saying, listen, surrender to them. Do not fight against them. Give yourself up to them. Now, if I'm sitting in that city, it doesn't make any sense, but it comes from the mouth of the Lord. Then the official says this, and this is in chapter 38, verse 4. Then the officials of the king. This is the ruling, as it were, the ruling political party around the king. It says this, the official said to the king, this man, let this man be put to death for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in the city in the hands of the people by speaking such words from, listen to this, for this man is not seeking the welfare of the people, but their harm. Can you imagine that? That now I've been so cauterized by my poor decisions, uh, by not following the Lord that I can't even see now what the Lord has shown me. And I said, listen, he's not even seeking the Lord's not the Lord's not even seeking the welfare of his own people. He is that I've gotten to the point where I say, listen, I know better than what the Lord's doing. This is what we need to do right now. Jeremiah is telling, listen, surrender yourself. They take it as listen, he's weakening the morale of the soldiers who are left here. There's already nobody here left. But what this guy is doing, he becomes a cheerleader for Nebuchadnezzar and the enemy. That's how they saw it. No, what he was doing was giving them a chance to live. But they took it as, well, he's actually, he's actually uh, weakening the hands of the soldiers. He's demoralizing them with his preaching. And so the idea is them seeing but not really processing what going, what's going around them. Right? They saw what was happening. But they weren't processing what it was. So instead of looking around and relying on their own judgment 
and assessing the situation as they saw fit, they needed to have a heavenly vision of what is going on here. The Lord is actually giving us a chance out, but we're going to take it our own way. And interpreting what the Lord wanted for them and saying, listen, I have a better way. Now, again, I don't know what, what, where it's ever happened, but sometimes you can interpret things the Lord is doing in your life and say, listen, Lord, I know you're taking me this way, but this is the way I want to go. This, and I'm going to fight my way through it. And I, no matter what, right? The Lord sometimes does let us go, right? And let us push and fight and kick and, and lets us go out somewhere just to show us, right? Just like Jeremiah. Now, of course, Jeremiah's in throw down there because of what he did. But sometimes we got to sink in that mud for us to wake up. To, for us to wake up and say, listen, no, the Lord's bringing us this way because he's molding us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Can you imagine that? He knows how, I mean, who better? And this is a hard thing for me. I know about you, but I like to be in control of my own life, right? And I, I sort of know what's best for myself. Well, not really. The Lord is the one who knows what's best for me. And if I am a true believer, I've already turned myself over to him. And he's the one molding and shaping me into the image of Christ. And sometimes he takes me away that, listen, that doesn't make any sense. And sometimes I want to want to fight and kick against it. But the Lord's bringing me this direction to shape me and mold me. And these officials were throwing away the chance for them to live, to stay alive, say, no, this guy's doing something that is not for our welfare. You've gotten to the place where what the Lord has given you is not good for you. You've got to check yourself where you're at, right? To the point where you're saying the Lord is against us. Israel, at another point in their history, this is at the beginning when they left uh, Egypt, but they, they, they were complaining. Sometimes you can just read over this, but it's, it's, it's so profound that, you know, he was feeding them from heaven, right, manna, miraculously. Can you imagine just bread falling down from heaven or just being out there when you wake up? And then there was birds out a little bit way, and they just went out and grabbed it. But they got to the point where they still were complaining, and they said that the Lord brought us out here to die. You could just well, read over that. But what are they saying? That the Lord set this up for us to be put to death. I mean, that the Lord would act maliciously to say, listen, he's leading us to a, a pitfall out here, and he's not seeking our own welfare. I mean, that's a really messed up vision, right, of seeing something and not processing what's going around. So these officials, again, right, or we're stuck in that. And then one last one, we're going to look to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, sort of in line with, with Jeremiah. There was a, a few that, that still stood by Jeremiah. Ebed-Melech, who was a foreigner, uh, did, and also Baruch, it seems, the, the scribe who delivered the messages Jeremiah uh, received from the Lord when he was in prison. But it says this, that Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian eunuch, remember, he... Um, he notices what they did. They, they threw Jeremiah into a, a well. He says, listen, that's not a good idea. Nobody else in that city wanted to rescue him, right? That was the popular decision. Look at what he's doing. He's weakening the hands of the officials and the, uh, the soldiers in the army that's left here by preaching this word. Ebed Melech says, that's not right. This guy's the prophet of the Lord. He goes to the king to petition for him, and he goes and rescues him uh, with with a homemade uh, rope, as it were, is made out of uh, clothes and rags. But the idea of Ebed Melech standing up for when it's not right to do it, or when it's not the popular decision, I should say. Um, and, 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 you know, you could look out there in the world, yeah, it's, anytime you're going to stand up for the Lord, it's not the popular decision. But what about Christian circles? 
Sometimes in the Christian circle, to stand up for what's right and what the Lord prescribed isn't the popular decision, right? You could go against what the populace says and, and it be something that the Lord is wanting you to do, but the populace is not behind you. And as a general rule, really, in the world, right, if you find yourself in a certain direction or decision and the world's behind you, you're probably not going the right way, right? Because they're against what everything that the world, that the, the Lord stands for and what the Lord commands, right? So the idea is, is the Christian is, he's not alone, but when he looks around the populace and the population generally is not behind him, right? It's not the popular decision to stand up for what is right. And so ebed Melech becomes that um, example for us. So remember, Zedekiah, praying but not actually praying. He, what, he did verbally say, listen, Lord, help. I need some advice, but he didn't follow it. He wanted to follow his own advice. Jeremiah was suffering when he, still do, uh, when, when he was doing right. He still was suffering for it. Don't be discouraged. The officials not see, seeing something and not processing exactly what's going on. So we need to readjust our vision, right, with the word of God, not with our own intellect. And Ebed Melech standing up for when it wasn't the popular decision. So some little bit of um, application as we think about this first lesson in the exile and return series. And so let's just close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day that we had to look into your word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to freely look into your word. We just pray, Lord, that we would um, just as we view some of these passages, uh, there might not be the, um, the most ideal place that we go to look, but we just understand that all scripture was written by you and it's given to us for uh, our correction, our uh, reproof, uh, what is right, the training of righteousness. All these things are written for our, our learning, Lord. So we just pray that we would accept and that we readjust our vision to understand that the Holy Spirit has placed you placed this here for a certain reason. And so, Lord, we just pray and we thank you for the story of Jeremiah. And we just would uh, 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 just take some of the application, Lord, and remember these things and apply it to our lives. And we just pray that you bring us home safely. We pray that those who would be able to attend to the baptism, that they'd be able to find uh, Mark's house and that we'd be able to get there safely. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.